Well, good morning to all of you. It is really good for me to see you here this morning. Um, Two reasons. Uh, Let me let you in on the paranoid fears of a pastor, okay, especially in West Michigan. You know, in the summer, many of you go to your cottages and many of you take vacations. Numbers go down. We go back to two services in the fall. Every summer, pastors like me, paranoid and fearful, think, what if they don't come back this fall? So I'm glad to see that you came back. It's always good. Puts my heart at ease. Puts my paranoid fears to rest when you come back. So it's good to see you all again after being go- many of you being gone for the summer. It's good for me to be back after being gone for the last five weeks with a chunk of my sabbatical. Um, I spent the, the last four Sundays visiting different churches, hearing different preachers, uh, all the way from Ada Bible Church to Cornerstone Church to the grave downtown. Last Sunday, I spent at St. Pius here celebrating a Catholic Mass here with our brothers and sisters in Granville at St. Pius. And it was just it was really good to experience those different pieces but there is no place like home. And it's good to be back singing and worshiping and with you again. Back into my spiritual routine with my, in my spiritual home. And as I thought about, you know, people maybe moving, going somewhere else, my spiritual home, the routine that we have, recognize that there are many people, many young people today who are choosing, who grew up in a spiritual routine like this, had a spiritual home like this, and as they grow up and get independent, they choose to step away. They're choosing to step out of the church. And in their newfound adulthood, they, they're asking a question that we're going to be looking at today and the next four Sundays. They're asking, why bother? Church, why Why bother with this thing called the church? Why should I keep up this religious routine? Why in the world should I stay connected to this organization? Why should I give them my money? Why should I give them my time? Why should I even bother with being a part of the church? When if I if I step out, I got my whole weekend free, I get a I don't I get to keep all that I have. Why bother? It's a question especially being asked nowadays by the younger generation who are growing up. By, they're called millennials. If you don't know what a millennial is, they're people born, the easy definition, people born in the 1980s, 1990s. That's your window for millennials. How many of you here were born in that window, in your millennials? Put your hand up if you were. You got plenty of millennials in here. Excellent. We even had some at the 830 service. I thought they all slept till 11, but they were there at 830 as well. Um, First of all, let me say this. I look at the millennials who are a part of Ivanrest Congregation, and I am so grateful for you. When I looked at our kickoff that just happened you know, last week, the number of volunteers we have who are in that window, young adults who are volunteering and serving in iClub, they're, they're mentoring high schoolers in small groups, they're up here on the worship team, Thank you to you millennials who are here and are stepping up. But the honest reality that many of you have felt is the other side of that coin. Many of you have children, grandchildren, maybe maybe best friends who fall into that window. And they have chosen not to come back. They have chosen not to be here. They said, church, why bother? And they didn't find an answer that was satisfactory enough to bring them back. 
So as a church family, we can respond to them in a number of different ways. Right? We, we can choose to be angry at them. <laughs> to be angry at those, those young people, those, those young adults who are being critical of, 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 of church, who are being critical of something that's so important to us, and we can just be angry if we choose. We can get defensive. If they're questioning the way we do church, we get defensive, right? We can choose to be worriers. You know, the pattern, if you haven't seen it, is every generation worries that the next generation is going to kill the church. You know, your parents thought your generation was going to be the end of the church. And we can sit here and worry and say, ah, these millennials, this is signaling, signaling the end of the church as we know it. Or, maybe the one we choose most often, we can choose to ignore them. We just let them go. We let them walk away and we say, okay, if you're going to walk away, walk away. And we just ignore. Or maybe, maybe we can choose to listen to them. And maybe we can choose to learn from them and the questions they're asking and the places that they're challenging us because we have a lot that we could learn from this young generation coming up within, within this community. They can help us identify what parts of the church are inadequate, what parts we're missing. They can help us fill in the gaps if we'll listen, if we will learn. Because let's admit it, right up at the front, we are not perfect. This community we call Ivan Rest Church, this community we call the church with a capital C, we are far from perfect. And if we aren't willing to admit that, if we aren't willing to admit, first of all, that we're broken and we could use some, some help here, then we aren't being honest. Then we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to others. And that's reason enough to make anybody walk away if we're not going to be honest with ourselves. Sadly, we provide the community called the church provides plenty of excuses, plenty of reasons, if anybody's looking for it, to walk away and to be done. So why should we stay? Why should anyone stay? Let's just stick with that big question this morning. Church, why bother? Okay, and, and I think God answers that question best in a story that he gives us back in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. You don't need to turn there if you don't wish. You're welcome to, but... I'm going to tell you the story instead of reading you the story. Because it's a story that my guess is you have heard again and again. It's a story that even those who don't go to church hear again and again. It's the story of Noah. Noah and the flood and the ark. We tell this story to our kids from the youngest age, right? There's children's books where we read them the story of Noah and the ark. We, we buy them little, little arts and, and pairs of animals to practice marching up the ramp and into the boat and put it in the bathtub and float it, right? We, we, decorate, we decorate our kids' bedrooms. We did with, with Noah's ark theme, right? We Paintings that we hang on the wall depicting this story, telling this story. From the youngest age, we tell the story. We tell our kids that long, long ago in a land far, far away lived a man named Noah. And Noah and his family were the only good people around. They were the only righteous people that God could smile on. And everybody around them was filled with evil and wickedness and had turned their back on God. 
So God comes to this man, Noah, and says, I want you to build a boat. I want you to build a boat to rescue you and your family in this creation. Because God says, I'm going to wash this earth clean. I'm going to give it a bath. And I'm going to give it a bath and wash it clean from all the sin and the brokenness. I'm going to start over again with you, Noah. And so, and so with blueprints given directly from God, Noah sets about to build this boat. And it's huge. It's a boat big enough that you can call it an ark. Right? And, and after all his work, when the boat is done, God brings the animals and, and he loads the animals on board. Two of every unclean animal and seven of every clean animal. In case you told that story wrong, no, that's the numbers. Two and seven. More animals than you even probably have thought about before, right? And, and the animals get loaded on the ark. Noah's family gets on the ark. God shuts the door and seals them in. And suddenly the rains come pouring down. And the waters come pouring up out of the ground. And for 40 days and 40 nights, this earth floods until there's not a bit of land to be seen. And, and on top of this flood, this ark is floating, rescuing Noah, his family, those animals. For six months they float until finally the, the ark hits dry ground. The water recedes. Noah and his family come out of the ark. The animals scatter and God wraps up this story. The story of washing this world clean again with a bow. He wraps up the story with a rainbow, right? Puts a rainbow in the sky and says, I'm never going to do this again. You can count on that. It's a beautiful story of, of boats and rainbows and animals, right? Okay? There's also an untold side of that story, isn't there? There's also parts of that story that we never tell our kids. And that we probably don't ever really want to think about. So let's rewind that story for a moment. And let's hear the other part of that story. So God comes to this righteous man, Noah, the only righteous man in the land. Everybody else has turned their back on God and says, I'm going to wash this world clean with a flood. I'm going to give it a bath, so I need you to build a boat. And so Noah sets about and builds this boat that's big enough to be called an ark. And his neighbors think he's crazy, literally crazy. I mean, think about it. Here's Noah. He lives in the middle of a desert. There's not water anywhere. And he is spending years of his time building a boat. He is spending all of his money on this boat being built in the middle of the desert. Can you imagine how his neighbors thought about him? Can you imagine the ridicule that he experienced, the derision, the mockery? For him and his kids, I don't think those years went well for Noah as he's building this boat in the middle of nowhere. And even though it ends up that Noah's work was justified, right? Even though he's the one who's rescued, in the end I doubt that Noah and his family gloated a whole lot about being right once the floodwaters came. Did you ever think about what it must have been like for Noah and his family on that boat when the water started rising? I would assume that all of his friends and neighbors, 
who had been mocking him so much, continually moved up to higher ground, right? The water keeps rising. The rains keep coming. They keep moving up to higher ground until they realize this is getting really bad. Our only hope is Noah. Our only hope is that big boat. I would assume that the neighbors surrounded that boat, pounding on the door, Noah, Noah, please let us in. You're our only hope. Let us in. And there's Noah. There's his family up on top of the, of the ark looking at them, saying no. These are friends. These are neighbors. And the water keeps rising. And the screams get louder. How many of their friends and neighbors did they have to watch drown? Men, women children we don't tell that part of the story to our kids do we how many bodies did they watch float by how many dead animals littered the water around them and then comes their six month boat ride and let's realize that this was far from a comfortable cruise for them. Right? Did you ever really think about what it must have been like to be on that ark for six months? First of all, realize that it rained for the first 40 days and 40 nights. Just think about that for a moment. Think, think about being in West Michigan in January and February when the sun disappears for 30 days in a row. How do you feel in that time? Pretty miserable. Okay, I don't know about you, but that affects, I'm, that is hard. Now, now, 40 days and 40 nights where it's not only the sun not shining, but the rain is pouring down and everything is wet and damp and miserable feeling. This is not a fun 40 days and 40 nights on this boat, especially since they're packed in pretty tight, tight, tight quarters, right? Yeah, the boat's huge, but it's packed full of animals and there is no other place to disappear to you're stuck with the same people in a small place for six months there's no getting away from the water that's leaking up through the cracks or pouring down from the sky there is no getting away from the noise and commotion of these animals there's no getting away from your mom and your dad and your in-laws and your kids and your grandkids I don't know about you but when my family goes away for for a week or so, and we get a big house, everybody's together. It's great for the first couple days. Then I need my space. Okay, then I need some space, and it's a wonderful week, but it's always good to go back home again and find my own space again, right? This is a six-month extended family reunion in one small house. That's going to be hard. You have to imagine that. You have to assume that there's going to be there's going to be arguments, there's going to be fights, there's going to be cold shoulders and hot tempers on this boat. And there is no getting away from the work. Right? We, I think we had this idealistic vision of what it was like to be on the ark. You know, you spend the morning playing with the lions, spend the afternoon put, having a few camel races up on the deck to pass the time, and I don't think that's how it went. All of these animals had to be fed every day. They kind of demand food. 
And let's be honest here, everything that eats also poops. Can I say that word in a sermon? I'm not sure. I'll say it anyways. It does. If you have spent any time on a farm, you've got the sanitized version of what it must have smelled like after six months. There's a lot of shoveling to do. There's a lot of work to do. We picture this ark as a comfortable Caribbean cruise. It was hard. It was messy. I would guess it was six months of downright miserable. Which raises the question then. The ark. Why bother? Right? I just gave you plenty of reasons to stay away from an ark, right? Messy, miserable, it's hard work. You've got to learn how to get along with people in tight spaces when you'd rather just have them be gone for a while, right? So why bother? Why not just jump off, Noah? Why not just jump off, Noah's kids? If it's that miserable, be done with it. Well, I think the answer is pretty clear of why we don't read of any of them jumping off in the middle of their trip, right? Why bother with the ark? Because it's the one place where safety is found. It's the one option that God designed to carry them through this flood safely to the other side. There was no other option. The only other choice would be water, and that's a bad choice. So they stayed, and they made it work. They had to figure out how to do their work, how to do it efficiently, how to do it better. They had to figure out how to be patient with each other, how to get along with each other, how to work together. Why bother when it's so miserable? Because the ark is their only salvation hope. To stay on, and not only just to endure this trip, but to invest in the long ride, to dry ground on the other side. That's where their only hope lies. Now, you and I today, we are sitting right now in a New Testament ark. And our ark is not this building. This building's not going to float. Our ark is this community called the church with a capital C. Because in the middle of this world around us that is flooded with sin, that is flooded with brokenness and ugliness and godlessness, in a world around us that's filled with racism and bigotry and sexism, a world that's full of selfishness and gluttony and greed, a world that that is full of abuse and, and indifference to other people's sufferings, into this flood of evil, God has designed a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place that will ultimately safely carry us home to Him, to the dry ground that is God's presence. And it's called the church, a community of people who have received God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, his son. And God has chosen to distribute that salvation gift that he has earned all throughout this world. How? Through the church. So the church is God's ark, rescuing us from the flood. That's why we bother with the church. This community is our only hope. This is where God said we would find his son. 
This is where his spirit would move. And to jump off, to jump off would be to try and survive the flood on your own. So by, by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit moving, you and I are here. We're safely on this, on this New Testament ark. But we need to know a few things about this New Testament ark that we're on. We need to know, first of all, that this is no pleasure cruise. Okay, if your church experience of being a part of this community for you is completely comfortable, if it's completely easy for you, then I wonder if we're really fully on board. Because let me be honest about this community. First of all, know that there is brokenness and ugliness and difficulty right here in this church, in the community of God. Because the ugliness and brokenness of, of the world around us seeps into this community. Just like I'm sure the rain seeped into the ark and dripped in. It comes right in here. Sometimes it actually pours in here. In this community, we sometimes quarrel and we fight. We get petty and pessimistic. We're, we're selfish and we're greedy. We, when we step into these doors, we bring with us our racism and our sexism and our lack of love and compassion right when we walk through the doors. The sin out there works its way in. And in these close quarters, with all of our sharp edges and our brokenness, it, it's hard to get along sometimes. We get frustrated with each other. We get angry with each other. The reality of living on this boat living in this ark in this community together is that that we need to figure out how to do that well it's hard we're in tight spaces for a long time so be ready if you're on this boat be ready for a lifetime of learning how to live together in grace a lifetime of challenging each other towards health and holiness this is no pleasure cruise and be ready to work because this is no vacation destination either. There's work to be done on this boat. Hard work. I don't think God called any of us onto this boat to simply sit on the deck. I don't think any of Noah's kids got on the ark and said, you guys do all the work, I'm going to sit here and tan. That's not what they did. And yet, how many of us come into the community called the church planning on sitting back, planning on relaxing, planning on just have the food be brought to me, feed me, planning on having our every comfort looked after, just like we're on a pleasure cruise. When we're quick to criticize and slow to serve, we reveal that that's what we're all about. It's a pleasure cruise for us. This is not a cruise ship. This is a rescue boat. Because there are lives to be changed. And there are hearts 
to be mentored. And there are minds to be taught. And there are injustices to be corrected and fought against. And there are sins to be banished. And there's disciplines to be developed. And there is transformation waiting to happen. And there are drowning people all around us who need to get on the boat. And God has said, I'm going to release my spirit, my power, through the church, through us. So there's work to be done here. Be ready for it if you're going to stay on the boat. You know, Frederick Beekner, writing about uh, Noah's Ark and that story, he really summarized the ark pretty well in one sentence. He wrote this, he said, If not for the storm, you could never stand the stench within. That is often true of the church as well, isn't it? We're sinful, we're broken, we're a leaky community saved by grace. And yet this, this is what God designed to carry us through the flood to the other side. There isn't another option. So to those of you who are ready to walk away from the church, maybe you're a millennial who sees no good reason to stay. Or maybe you're someone who's been, who's been hurt by the brokenness within the church community. Or maybe you're one who's just sick and tired of, of the hypocrisy and the pettiness and the failure that you see within the church. If that's you, stay. Stay. Because this is where safety is found. This is where hope is found in Jesus Christ. This is where victory will be found. I know that's hard to see sometimes. I know it sure seems like the opposite sometimes. But this is where victory is found. Jumping off the boat is not the answer to the questions you have. And to those of us who are on board, who are on this rescue ship called the church, God has brought all of us on board together. And we need to figure out how to make this work together. We need to figure out how to do better. We need to figure out how to let God transform this broken world through us. We need to do the hard work of figuring out how to truly love each other, how to truly serve, how to sacrifice, how to learn, how to grow together in these close quarters. And so that's why over the next four weeks, we're going to be listening to the questions that that this millennial generation is asking about the church, about us. And we're not going to be defensive, I hope. Instead, we're going to look at the cracks that they're pointing out to us. We're going to look at the cracks in this boat. And hopefully we will be courageous enough to do what it takes to try and fix them. So welcome to the New Testament ark. The refuge that God has provided to safely carry us through the storm, through the flood, and ultimately to bring us home safely. Stay on board. Stay on board and let's figure out together 
how to better be who God has designed us to be. Let's pray for that. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for making a way for us. We realize that there's brokenness in the world. There is evil. There's sin. We realize there's a flood of it threatening to drown all of us. We realize that there's that evil and sin within each one of us as well. And you have given us a safe place. You've given us a rescue boat where we can be secure. Thank you for moving your spirit within each one of us to be here, to bring us on board. May we never minimize, Father, your great gift of salvation. But Father, we admit that we aren't always the best passengers. That being on board is difficult for us. We aren't always the community that you called us to be. In fact, we aren't usually the community you've called us to be. And so over these next weeks especially and beyond, give us the wisdom to be able to look at where we need to change. To be able to see where you're calling us to be the ark, to be the safe place reaching out into this world. Give us the courage, Father, to listen and to learn. And so, Father, I ask for those who are here this morning who are, who are seriously considering jumping off, stepping out of this community called the church, who are asking themselves, why bother, and aren't finding the answer that they're looking for. Father, give them the courage to stay. To stay and ask us good questions. To challenge us and help us grow. And Father, for those of us who are on board, who aren't thinking about jumping off, give us the humility to listen and to learn and to grow for your kingdom purposes and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come on forward and the elders who are going to help serve communion. Would you come up and take a seat in the front row as well?